Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, December 29th. Will we talk about anything other than the Padres today? Probably not. Frank Stample here. Scott White took off the busiest week of the offseason, which I guaranteed would happen. So thank you, Scott. I am not alone, however. Yesterday, we had Michael Simeone join us to talk pitching. Today, we have Matt Williams on to help us dissect a few of these polarizing hitters. Of course, he does fantastic work. He is the host of the Turn 2 podcast, the founder of rotofanatic.com. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter at Matt W-I-7-7-I-A-M-S. What's going on, Matt? Hey, not much. I, I was unaware. I mean, is there a player that's not on the Padres now? I think it's just everybody. Yeah, it's everybody. Yeah, Everyone's <laughs> over there. And I'm sure they'll make more moves, and, and I'll have to do more emergency podcasts. And Chris and I, Chris Towers and I have this, this running gig now that, you know, the running joke that uh, they're basically just going to make a trade every, every, you know, every night until the end of time so that we have to keep doing emergency podcasts. And of course, it'll be great. Um, That'd be fun. Yeah, it, it would, right? By the way, everyone's on the Padres except for Zach Davies. Yes, exactly. The only guy who's not allowed. Yeah, poor, uh, poor Zach Davies. Or not. I mean, now he moves over to the National League Central. He gets to face the Pirates, the Cardinals. Um, you know, it's it's a nice little change in, in scenery. Let's just dive into all these Padres moves. We'll put a bow on these. Hit, they're really the only news and notes going on. So we'll hit on these. And then, of course, we'll get into uh, some of those hitters. Again, Matt has been doing these hashtag 2021 player breakdowns, which you can find on Twitter and over on rotofanatic.com as well, where he just goes super, super in-depth. So looking forward to picking your brain a little bit on these specific players. Uh, but let's just start off in general with the two pitchers, you Darvish and Blake Snell, of course, massive deals getting traded over to the San Diego Padres. I've shared my thoughts the past couple of days, uh, days so I wanted to give you the opportunity to opine yourself here, Matt. Um, you know, are you moving these guys up the rankings, down the rankings? Snell, Darvish, what do you got? Uh, Darvish is lateral. I mean, literally lateral. I see no reason to move him. Um, I, he was kind of already off of my board in terms of me, my interest in drafting him just because he did had, had some injury issues in the past. And now, you know, coming off a 60 game season, we don't know guys like him, Kevin Gaussman, did they just turn it on for 60 games? We don't know. Uh, so I was probably going to avoid him, even though I love him. Literally he was my SP three coming out of the season. And now I'm just, I'm just off of him. Snell. I had as like my SP 15 or 16. I assume that uh, this should increase his value, but I was not going to draft him as well. Same reason there was Tampa Bay with the whole five inning thing that's gone now in theory. Uh, but you also had the injury history. He had the the shoulder problem in like 2018. He didn't get a, uh, didn't get any kind of an operation on. Then he had the surgery to get loose bodies from your elbow, which, you know, that's not uncommon for, for pitchers, but still he had that. Then he had an injection. He was complaining about soreness this year. I, I'm just out on that completely. So I assume the move to San Diego moves his ADP even further up, which makes me even further out. So love both guys probably are completely out on both. Yeah, and that's what's so tough about just differentiating real baseball versus fantasy baseball. These guys are awesome pitchers, and they're really, really fun to watch. We saw what Blake Snell did in the postseason, and, and it doesn't mean that these guys are bad pitchers, but we play a, a game in fantasy baseball where things are tied to a certain value. And it's because of that that I, I probably won't have many shares of either of these guys as well. Uh, on the emergency podcast I mentioned with Darvish, 
I think it might be a slight downgrade for him. The defense, according to you know stats that I looked up, like defensive run saved and UZR, is a little bit worse in San Diego. And I, I think the competition is going to be a little bit tougher for Darvish as well. Moving over to face the Dodgers, the Giants' offense was very good in 2020. I guess we'll we'll find out whether or not that was real. Um, and uh, just yeah, like now that he he doesn't get to face the Pirates and stuff, so I, I worry about that and just the change of scenery for a pitcher you have to take in the second round. So I just worry about that just a little bit with Darvish. Uh, and then with Blake Snell, I, I said cautious upgrade was was the phrase that I used for him because I think he'll still be really good when he's on the mound, but I, I worry that the Rays just knew how to handle him, Matt. And, and, you know, as frustrating as it has been, Blake Snell has not completed six innings since July of 2019. There he doesn't is a- do very well his third, way, uh, third time through the uh, order either, like, Yep. really suffers. So, I mean, and plus they've been, like you said, he hasn't gone through the six since then. They've been using him in very limited amounts. I'm worried about even the strongest of pitchers um, going from 2020 to 2021, just because you're going to get the big jump in innings. And now you have a guy that's just been literally held back intentionally. All of a sudden you want him to take this big jump. I'm not sure that big jump everyone is hoping is there, will be there. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of ifs for someone going that high in a draft. Yeah, and if they do push him further, right? Like, okay, we might enjoy the volume more, but that also makes him more of an injury risk, in my opinion. So, you know, it's there are a lot of trade-offs with these two guys. Uh, Darvish is going to be a second-round pick. My guess is Blake Snell, his ADP in the month of December was 52. Over at the NFBC, he was the 17th starting pitcher off the board. I think that probably climbs somewhere to like 6 to 12 picks, either half a round, a full round. And I think at that point, I'm probably not going to want Blake Snell either. Uh, Matt, so if you are in the second round and you want to take a starting pitcher, uh, just who are a few names that you would target ahead of, of Darvish? Ahead of Darvish, I'd take, uh, happily take Luis Castillo, uh, Aaron Nola, Brandon Woodruff. Mm. Um, all those guys I take in front of Darvish. I, I'm not taking Darvish uh, over. I love him. I do. Uh, I do. It's just I, I highly doubt he makes it through the amount of innings you want. Either he gets injured, which fingers crossed that doesn't happen, or his his innings are just not going to be where you want them to be. I will I will definitely go in that another direction. Well, you must be friends with uh, Michael Simeone as well because <laughs> he's a huge fan of Luis Castillo and Aranola as well. Uh, I have have dropped be Darvish behind both of those names as well. So I think we're we're all in agreement there. Matt, you recently had me on your podcast, the Turn Two, and we previewed the shortstop position. And we spoke a little bit about Haas Young Kim coming over from the KBO and the fact that when he signs, his ADP is going to skyrocket. And I think the fact that he is joining the Padres, we're going to see exactly that happen. So Haas Young Kim is 25 years old, coming off a career year with the Kiwoom Heroes in the KBO, where he hit 306 with 30 home runs. 23 steals. He has really good plate discipline. He had more walks than strikeouts this past season in the KBO in 2020. His ADP in December is 175 at the NFBC. I think in January, we see him climb inside the top 150, Matt. I wouldn't be shocked if he climbed well within even further than that. I I expect him to jump further, at least from the enthusiasm I've seen. I've seen people comp him to uh, they looking there are people looking at projections and they're throwing out names like Ozzy Albies and Tim Anderson. And I see maybe more like Dansby Swanson. And the, the comp I keep throwing out there is Jerkson Profar, the guy he's replacing on the team pretty much in San Diego. I don't expect him to do that much better than Profar just did. And if you look at projections, I'm not sure I expect Kim to do much better than Profar's projected to do this year, which is fine. Uh, I think Profar off the top of my head, like two streamer has him like five, 250 around like 15 and 15. I think that um, Kim's around like 280, a little more power around the same speed. So yeah, I think he's destined to be a highly overdrafted player who main thing he's in the Padres lineup. I don't see him batting higher than seventh or eighth. That's a really good lineup. So yeah, you know, draft cautiously, everybody. I know it's exciting, but we're not exactly sure how he'll translate. He's batting at the bottom of a lineup. There's a lot, there's, there's better avenues probably to go than where his ADP is likely to end up. So I've really liked that call that you just brought up. I'm looking at the steamer projection for jerks and profar 250 batting average, 19 homers, 10 steals. And I, Tacked on, we have this free agency tracker that we have at cbsports.com, and we're just constantly updating it with every move that happens. And, and I wrote about Ha Young Kim today, and I said I would modestly project 260 to 270, 
15 to 17 home runs and 10 to 12 steals. So yeah, I think we're in, we're in lockstep. And that's a very good player. But, I mean, if he starts to move much higher than, than 150, if he starts to move like towards 100, especially for a guy that we just haven't seen play in Major League Baseball yet, that, that's probably going to be too high for me. So uh, yeah. we'll, see. we'll see what happens. I think January is going to be a big month to find out the value for Ha Young Kim. All right. Let's let's jump into some of these players, Matt. Matt, you do fantastic work, and a bunch of people um, know you for everything that you do. But I mean, really, you've kind of become synonymous with these hashtag uh, 2021 player breakdowns. I know you did them last year as well, uh, where you're just really deep diving some interesting players. So, just before we get into specific names, maybe just <laughs> I, it's going to be a lot, so <laughs> you don't have to list off everything, but just tell people some of the things that you look at specifically when breaking down these players and and maybe where you find some of these tools as well? Uh, it really depends on the player. Every single one is different. I, I always go through their, their stat lines and I end up going through plate discipline and batted ball profile, basically for hitters and pitchers. But as far as how I get there, it just depends on the player. Um, you know, sometimes there's a narrative like Javier Baez will get to where he's complaining about the video or someone made a tangible change with pitch mix. Um, I use baseball savant, fan graphs, Brooks baseball, Alex Chamberlain's leaderboard. I talk to beat writers, pretty much everything that you can do to kind of dive into a player. I look at Randy Rosarina. We'll talk about in a second. Uh, you know, he had a short amount of season. I had to look at the postseason data because there's not that much to go on. You kind of have to go back and look into some people's minor league track records like Alec Baum because he doesn't have a lot to go on. So you want to look at like plate discipline sometimes transfers over to the majors. The rest of the stats don't typically do, but it just, it just really depends. And uh, you know, people like to look at certain things things like home run to fly ball ratio or BABIP when it comes to like regression. And it's not that simple. You got to know what, what kind of skills goes into making BABIP higher or lower, and then you kind of dive deeper. So um, I just kind of take people step-by-step step through um, through the surface stats. And then we uh, I'll teach them how to highlight what to look for in terms of red flags or, you know, growth. And then we'll dive deeper and I'll show people like, you know, what you can be looking for, why a player should be getting better or worse. And uh, it's just kind of a, a fun thing to do and kind of teach the, teach the audience at the same time. Matt, when you said step-by-step, step, the first thing that came into my mind was the song by new kids on the block, which <laughs> I will, uh, begrudgingly admit that it is a guilty pleasure karaoke song of mine. I don't, nice. <laughs> I don't know if you have any response to Step by Step by New Kids on the Block. No, my sister used to listen to that when we were kids. But yeah, other than that, I'm not <laughs> sure I have, a, I have any follow-up comments for that. You do? You ever do karaoke? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I lived in Florida, um, that was pretty much uh, what we did. Uh, you get drunk and play karaoke constantly. I didn't really have a favorite <laughs> uh, by any means. I think the ones like, uh, um, was it? I can't even think of the name of it. Um uh, one week by bare naked ladies. Okay. Yep. Trying to get your way through that. Really. I don't know if anyone knows the, the they talk really fast. It's really impossible to do, but it's a fun one. <laughs> You've got one week. Should you look at me? Something like that. I think, I think that's how it goes, but that's just a really bad rendition of it. I also really enjoy singing say it ain't so by Weezer, but that's, that's a little, oh, that's a good one. It's, it's a good one. It's a good one. All right. Enough of that. Um, let's dive into some of the players specifically. Uh, what we're going to do is we'll talk about them and then I'll ask you buy or sell at their current ADP in the month of December. You mentioned Randy Arozarena, and what are we going to do with Randy? Between the regular season and the postseason, the guy was awesome. He hit 333 with 17 home runs and four steals in 141 at bats. I don't think it's completely fluky or anything. Um, it's not like he was a highly regarded prospect, but he did have a ridiculous 2019 in the minors. He had an OPS over 1,000 there, 15 home runs, 17 steals, and his power really improved throughout the summer just in the most odd way. The fact that he contracted COVID, he was in quarantine for a month, and while he was by himself, he just ate rice and chicken and did... 300 push-ups a day. I mean, you probably, if you listen to this podcast, you probably have heard that story by now, but that's actually how he developed his power. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about this. The pros, the cons, uh, you pointed some of these out in your player breakdown, including the struggles with breaking pitches and and, and pitchers uh, pitching in on the the inner half of the plate against Randy Rosarena. So um, 
just hit on some of those things when it comes to uh, some of the cons when it comes to Randy Rosarena and what might worry you in that regard. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't, there's again, not a lot to ton to go on for, for Rosarena. Enough for the Cardinals to freely admit they made a mistake. Um, they could have kept quiet. They felt like openly admitting they made a huge mistake. He leans over the plate. He's really high over there and it allows him to um, get full plate coverage, you know, really lean over, get his bat. He can reach up. Uh, pitches on the outside to, you know, allow him to, to make contact. He doesn't have a ton of power on the outside, but he won't swing and miss there, but it does leave the inside very, um, very open for, for pitchers to attack, which some did, you know, you get in on his hands um, and not even inside, just inside strike zone. You just can't get to him. And I don't see him backing off the plate because then, you know, he'll hurt his play coverage and can't get to the outside. Again, these are, this is cherry picking a very good hitter, but, um, it was very easy to see that uh, when pitchers identified that he could didn't really have an answer for that and some high fastballs, which a lot of players have that problem. So uh, between that and breaking balls, the problem is if you identify those kind of issues, he's a really young player, not a lot to go on. They're going to spend the ALEs for sure. They're going to spend a whole offseason looking at the stuff and who knows what we're going to get. I mean, it's the Rays. You know, if he struggles at all, they'll platoon him. You know, they're not erecting a statue in his honor. You know, they don't, very few people get the honor of everyday at bats. I would bet on it. I think in my projection here, I haven't projected for something pretty healthy, but it comes down to very minimal track record uh, in a normal setting, which we're about to have. So, um, I mean, his biggest con is the unknown. I mean, there's been players. Not Holmesson. There's been no players that have had a hot streak like him. I think I even had in the thread. I, there's like he's a historic amount of production he did in a short amount of time. But I mean, names like Shane Spencer, you know, as a Yankee fan, you know, that? I mean, there's people that have hot streaks. Um, there's some holes in his game. Let's see if they're actual holes that he can, you know, that can be exploited. We don't know. We have to see. But you have to draft him at his ceiling. Um, there's some people that think he's Christian Yellick. I think he's more like Tommy Pham, um, you know, a healthy one, which is great. You know, that's pretty good. But, you know, you're, people are drafting him like they know, and you, you can't. You can't know. <laughs> yeah, and look, he, he started the – when he first got playing time this season, he started off as a platoon bat where he was playing against lefties. Now, that doesn't really mean anything because he showed out in the postseason and he was hitting against everybody. Lefties, righties, it, it didn't really matter, but – I don't. I can't remember a time that we we saw a player raise their value that much just based on a postseason performance. I wrote about this while the playoffs was going on, and the the only other thing I could think of was a couple a couple of years ago. Nathan Avaldi had like a really nice showing in the postseason, but even then, I, I think he, maybe he was being drafted inside the top one fifty. You're like Randy Rose, Randy, you have to draft much, much higher. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Spoke about some of the negatives. All right, let's look at the positives just in general here. Despite his higher swinging strike rate, Matt, he does have really, really strong plate discipline. And I think we saw this in the playoffs. While he struggles against breaking pitches, I feel like his pitch recognition is a little bit more advanced for someone his age. It seemed like he, he just, he seemed very confident up at the plate. Like he, he kind of knew what he was doing. And on top of that, we spoke about Seamer projections a little bit earlier. He is one of only 10 players projected to hit 20 home runs and steal 20 bases. So that's not an easy feat to accomplish. Um, those are some of the pro, uh, the pros there. Is there anything else that you would like to expand on when it comes to a Rosa Reina, the, the positives? Not really. I mean, you kind of nailed it. Uh, the uh, it's, A lot of it has to do with the plate discipline. Like you said, he has really great plate coverage. I said it earlier when I was talking about his cons. That's a great positive. If he has the ability to just lay off pitches – that um that that is great there's plenty of high strikeout high you know high average we're it's funny i was talking about uh, i was talking with uh rob silver earlier he brought up andres galarraga for some reason i can't remember why <laughs> uh but um he led the league in hits and strikeouts once which is nuts uh but you know having a high swinging strike rate does not mean you're a bad hitter you know you can just be aggressive but if you can cut down on the amount of bad pitches you swing at you know you can get over it so there's a, yeah there's a ton to like here um I wish I had my, proje- I, you know, I'm trying to try to pull up my projection. I have him, I say to kind of avoid him like I would, but uh, in the end, I think I have him projected for something that's like, well, well worth his ADP. Uh, so yeah, I think I, pro- I know somewhere around like 30, 20 or something like that, 20, maybe 25, 25, but I believe in a Rosarina, but for where he's going, I feel that um, I like to go the death by a thousand paper cuts approach when I draft where I love to get my steals here and there. 
he looks, he just looks like someone that has a lot more floor than ceiling at his ADP. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong this year, which, you know, maybe it'll hurt, but I can, uh, I can build around him. Uh, he's going just a bit early where if he, if he is a bust, it's, it's going to sting. Yeah. So I, I pulled up your projection here and 265, 27 homers, 24 seals. That's, that's, that's a pretty damn good player. Uh, the ADP yeah. for a Rosarena in the month of December is 60. So it sounds like you are selling that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's too early. <laughs> it's yeah. it's just too early. You're basing this again. We included the playoffs. Um, how many how many bats you have in the regular season? I don't know, like sixty. He <laughs> most of seventy. That would have been sixty four. Sixty four. I mean, that come on, that's that's crazy. I mean, you can look at. There's nothing really. Um, there's no red flags here as far as anything metrically. Like you're not looking at any kind of an insane BABIP like you are with Baum or Key Brian Hayes, but it's just they're all rookies. And there's some other people that have given the opportunity over 162 probably could have really uh, made, you know, made some noise. But for some reason, we're elevating him just because of this mystique around him. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, mystique is in a fantasy category. So again, I love a Rosarina. Uh, it's just too, it's a little, a little early, too much risk. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm I'm selling a Rosarena at that price. If I could get him maybe two or three rounds later, I mean, the further you go into a draft, the more risk you could take on. Uh, but at, at 60, that is just, that's the 5-6 swing in a 12-team league. That's too early for me. You mentioned Tommy Pham. I think that that is a, a fair player, not just to comp him to, but if I can get him 65 picks later, which is where Pham is going right now, and he's projected for 22 homers and 15 steals, okay, that's... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the discount on Tommy Pham, assuming he can stay healthy. So I, I do like that call as well. Uh, somebody who does strike out quite a bit. You mentioned the ability to strike out and still get a ton of hits. Javier Baez. And again, mentioned this on your podcast when I was on. I was off Javier Baez every single year. And then I finally gave in in 2020 because... Look, the guy just does it every year. Like, you know, this is who he is. He can maintain it. And boom. That was just so deflating. Uh, Javier Baez hit 203, eight home runs, a 599 OPS. The plate discipline has always been bad, but it was it managed to get even worse in 2020, Matt. So uh, tell me where you're at on Javier Baez, how much you're buying into the, the 2020. You mentioned some of the video stuff as well. So kind of work all that in and and... Let me know where where are you at on Javier Baez. This is why I said when I break down players, it's very specific to each guy, especially with how you relate to how how you're going to weigh what happened in 2020. Uh, there's some players where um, I would rather throw out negatives than positives, but there's some players I want to throw it all, all together. Jack Flaherty is a good one for the pitcher. Cardinals had a weird schedule. Uh, he never really got in a rhythm. You take out a couple of his bad games, he looks fine. I throw it out for him. Uh, Javier Baez, I am throwing it out completely. It's a brutal season, and you think it shouldn't, but you're getting a decent discount. He complained about the video. We know about that. J.D. Martinez complained about it too. They said uh, they really, you know, it's a routine that they have. They'd go in, they'd see what they did wrong, and especially for someone with big holes in their swing, he likes to check in. So I don't know how much that affected him. The Cubs coaches actually, as a team, they said they preferred it because they got to talk one-on-one with their hitters, and so they actually enjoyed it. But um, as a team, team wide, they actually, for as the Cubs, they pushed their players to take more pitches. And as someone with horrible plate discipline, Javier Baez is someone who always like when he saw his pitch, he attacked it. So now you're taking someone who has poor plate discipline and then forcing them into an 01 hole, maybe an 02 hole. I mean, you know, everyone knows how much worse it gets once you start with a strike against you. So it just, it was just a perfect storm to have this horrible year. So everything just added up to just, just bad, bad things happening for Javier Baez. He was always a flawed hitter, but they really just put him behind the eight ball from the get go. Um, you know, I, I, and in the whole thing with 2020 is some people that have the, uh, that have a, a certain routine and it doesn't have to be video. It can be, uh, it can be just showing up and doing a workout at a certain time or going to get a freaking smoothie, you know, at a game, like there's so many things that players could not do. And Baez was very vocal about being thrown off his routine. So 
he just seems like someone that, you know, we've seen him overcome his very poor plate discipline. He's like one of the worst hitters of baseball, like Mondesi, like Robles, except he can overcome due to his, his athletic ability and his talent. So do I think at his age, he just all of a sudden just, you know, turned into trash? I don't think so. So like you, I was off. I was completely off of him for years, but now I am, am somewhat interested because if you missed on shortstops early, it's a deep position, but he's sitting there like right in front of uh, Dansby Swanson, who I actually prefer be- between the two, but he seems like a nice bounce back candidate where the speed is maybe not going to be where everyone hoped it once was, but um, a lot of things went wrong for Baez behind the scenes where if you're not, if you just look at the stat sheet, it looks pretty ugly. And things just went wrong for the Cubs hitters in, in general. I looked into, so I noticed Anthony Rizzo had a really high infield fly ball rate as well. Um, Baez just had a 14.9% infield fly ball rate. That was um, much higher. His career mark is 10%. The Cubs as a team were eighth in all of baseball in hitting pop-ups, basically. They were 25th in that category in 2019. So I don't know if it had to do with something with, with David Ross coming in as well and just a team philosophy change in general, but... I think that there's enough here, and people might be, uh, well, you know, if you give him a pass, you have to give other players a pass as well, and I think you have to be willing to do that, Matt, based on, on the season that we just saw. For me, Austin Meadows is a player that I will go back to because the guy had COVID to start the season, and then when he returned, he dealt with an oblique injury. So, I mean, really, how much can we take away from the season for Meadows? Same thing with well, Yohan Well, Mankata. I think that's why I say it's case by case. Like, I think there's certain players. Yellick actually does worry me. As he had the back issue, he looked terrible in spring training. He was striking out crazy in the second spring training. I'm happily taking him at the one-two turn where he's going. It worries me, though, because I don't see these extra things that went wrong with him. Um, I don't know if he was just injured. He'll he'll get healthy. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he looks in spring training. I you know I'm not going on record saying that you know he's going to be bad, but I'm just saying him. I read a little into the struggles because it was a long way and there is nothing really explaining. You said Austin Meadows, uh, Yon Mankata also had COVID. He never looked like he got on track either. So yeah, I think it's just a case by case basis with, with everybody. So let's put a bow on Javier Baez. 70.8 is the ADP, the 11 shortstop off the board buy or sell at that cost. Yeah, I'll buy that. I will sell, which means Javier Baez is going to be awesome this year and everybody else should draft him because every year I don't draft Javier Baez. He is amazing. I will sell him because mainly I like Dansby Swanson and Carlos Correa who are going 30 and 50 picks later respectively. So I'll take those guys. Another player who normally I've been on throughout my career. I do have a bit of a man crush on Rafael Devers. Admittedly, I was at the... Yankee game, Sunday night baseball, when he hit the opposite field home run off of Aroldis Chapman in the ninth inning. And it was crazy. This was like a 102-mile-per-hour chest-high fastball that Devers goes the opposite way with. And ever since then, I I think that was his rookie season. It was in September. I was just hooked. I'm like, the guy has prospect pedigree. He has amazing bat speed. I was just hooked. And now he's reunited with Alex Cora, so I wonder if that is something that will help him get back on track as well. Something I know that noticed you pointed out in your player breakdown for Devers, Matt, is that he's been a slow starter each of the past two seasons. Well, this season was <laughs> just a short season, so if he stunk for the first month, he didn't really have enough time to get things completely back on track. So there's a chance that he's just a slow starter, but there are some other warning signs as well. Where do you fall with Rafael Devers? I, I like him. I, he's another guy that I'm more more willing to slightly overlook 2020 because there was a lot of things that went wrong. Um, having having Alex Cora there, he even admit that uh, it made him more comfortable, more on a defense the defensive side, but he just made him more comfortable uh, overall. You know, some people take the defense and they bring it to the play with him. He showed up overweight. Um, you know, that doesn't help as well. And he's always a slow starter. He said he had more than enough time to make up for that in 2019, 2020, it, it, we, he couldn't do anything. I brought up Yellick earlier. There was something where he had like a 110 WRC plus for the year. You take out his first six games, he's, it went up to 130. So not as bad as it seems. Same with uh, Devers. His overall numbers were just never going to catch up, but he still ended the season with decent enough numbers. Um, there were some things that do worry me. In 2018, he struggled against fastballs. 2019, he was a beast. 2020 struggle against fastballs again. 
that's not something you ever want to see. Um, you know, young player, do I think he forgot to hit out a fastball? No, but he struggled with them before. So I, you know, there is some things here to slightly worry about, but overall he looks like he, he was ending the season on the same pace that he kind of had in 2019. He's still very young. I would be willing to bet that he's just going to be a beast, especially with Alex quarterback. So all signs point to him being maybe not quite what we saw in 2019. Cause he was like, he was really good, but I think much, much closer to that. Uh, for Rafael Devers, in particular with the slow starts, in 2019, he did not hit his first home run until May 3rd. He hit all 32 of his home runs in his final 124 games of the season in 2019. And then in 2020, his first 22 games, he hit just 207 with two homers. His final 35 games, he hit 297 with nine home runs. So he could just be a slow starter. Um, he struggled mightily against lefties this past season. He had an OPS of 613. In his career against lefties, it's six at seven twenty six. So, and they really, and because of that, and he was really pulling. He he um he really started to get shifted on more and more and more. I was talking, um, who was I talking to? I can't even think of it. Um, I was thinking, to, I was talking to one of the uh, the the, uh, the Sox beat writers about this on uh, how he didn't even notice it. I was breaking down some of the the uh, of the the game by game shifts, and yeah, it's just something that he's gonna have to. Um, to work on as far as like going, you know, actually getting his uh, splits down is going to like, you know, going ops field, going up the middle again, because he was getting kind of pull heavy and they were really taking advantage of that. And, you know, you don't want to turn, you know, get turned into Ryan Howard here. Yeah. I ultimately, I think that there's just too much talent. And of course there's the prospect pedigree steamer loves the guy. I mean, 288 projection, 35 homers, 104 ribbies. I don't know if we get all the way back there, but can we get 280? 30 homers, 90 to 100 RBI. Yeah, I, I think that's possible for Rafael still, Devers. Still, still smoking the ball. So, I mean, yep. the, he talent hit, is, the talent's there. <laughs> he hit the ball harder in, in 2020 than he did in 2019 in his breakout yep. season. So, yep. explain that. Uh, the ADP is 45.6. He is the seventh third baseman off the board. Two picks behind Anthony Rendon. Matt, do you buy him at that price? Yeah, and that's the re- I, I don't understand the Manny Machado ADP. <laughs> And I love Andy, I love Manny Machado, but if you're going to have Anthony Rendon and Rafael Devers sitting for me at 45, I will pass on Manny Machado and I love him, but I don't see a big difference between the three of these guys come the end of the season. Well, it was, it was great having you on Matt. We're going to have to, <laughs> to wrap the podcast up early because you, you cannot say bad things about Manny Machado. I, I, did, I didn't. I said <laughs> bad things about the people drafting him that high. Well, I took him that high in one of my draft champions. So I, I guess I need to go back to the drawing board. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to hit on a few more hitters here, uh, deep dive these guys and see what happened in 2020 and what we're expecting for 2021. We'll do that here, Fantasy Baseball Today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Remember when I asked how many Padres we were going to talk about today? Well, there is just one more that I want to talk about, and that is Trent Grisham, who finished 2020 as a top 15 outfielder in both head-to-head points leagues and in Roto as well. Hit 251 with 10 home runs and 10 steals. That is a 25-25 pace over 150 games. I don't know what you could say bad about the guy. I mean, he hits lefties well enough. He has good play discipline, solid stack ass numbers, a near 25% line drive rate. What's not to like here, Matt? All right. 
Here, there's a couple things not to like. Well, in the Padres, he hits lefties well enough. They they seem to alternate batting him at the top and bottom of the lineup. So we're not quite sure um, if he'll be, you know, hitting at the bottom of the lineup here and there. Uh, again, track record. Every He was a highly touted prospect. People were waiting for him. He struggled when he first came up. Um, but then, you know, he had this monster short season. There are holes here, kind of like a Rosarina. He, he does – have really great plate discipline, which is good, and hits tons of line drives, which is beautiful. Uh, in the thread, I, I kind of am talking about, you know, does he is he going to be like Michael Conforto with some speed? Um, he has some holes in his swing, though. He, he doesn't have very strong contact, which I think is going to hold his batting average down. And he doesn't maybe have necessarily the high BABIP skills I would look for. I think he's going to be more like a 300 BABIP guy, even with the high line drive rate even though he's fast. Um, I wouldn't worry about the, uh, the low exit velocity. Same thing with a lot of the, the line drive guys, you know, look at standard deviation of launch angles, how well they control the bat. You know, they're not guys that are going to hit like 450 foot home runs constantly, but they have enough power to get the job done. So I like him. The only problem is short sample size is getting drafted really early. Um, I think I ended up calling him Instead of Michael Conforto with speed, he's more like Ramon Laureano with plate discipline, uh, which is good. If Ramon Laureano had plate discipline, that'd be pretty good. It just seems a little early. I think it's fair enough to take him where he's going. I think his spot in the lineup worries me a little bit. But um, overall, I think um, I think he, he, he looks sharp. So the ADP is 58. Mm-hmm. Based on what you said, it sounds like you're like uh, a tentative buy, a hesitant buy. Oh no no! I'm a definite pass. Oh you're oh you're selling. <laughs> I'm more likely to I'm more likely to jump on a Rosarina, um, who I think has a ceiling. I think Grisham uh. definitely has a trap. D- I'm not calling it a floor. It's a trap door. Ooh. Um, his I think his batting average in his and this isn't that I'm not buying him long term. I think that you know 60 games, folks. I think that <laughs> there could be an adjustment period here for Grisham, and it could get ugly. Uh, you don't want to be a, a sophomore slump with a contact problem. So yeah, we were talking about Tommy Pham before. Give me all the Tommy Pham instead of Trent Grisham. Um, yeah, if if I want to gamble with a low batting average and power and speed, uh, give me Victor Robles. I don't know. <laughs> 200 picks later. <laughs> Trent Grisham currently going 58.1 and Victor Robles, he is going quite late. He's going uh, 100 picks later. He's going 163.6. So He's just a guy I like ripped off the top of my head. But yeah, there's a little too many holes here for me at that price. All right. Well, I guess I'm alone on an island here. I, I'm more likely to draft him than I, I than I think a Rosarena. But I think this probably just comes down to, to draft philosophy. And if I'm using a top five round pick on a player, I want to take someone who has a higher floor. I do think uh, I do think Grisham is, is that player between the two. Maybe it's just because of the plate discipline. Uh, but I, I I am pretty excited about him. Um, it is a big price though inside the top sixty picks for Trent Grisham. I'm I'm notoriously a really really against people without. Uh, samples without a track record though. So that's also a bias of mine. I, I am willing to wait. I like, I'd rather go like boring value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's again, uh, it, I, I think I projected him pretty well too. So it's not that I don't believe in him. It's just that uh, I like to be a little safer early in the drafts. I like to take my shots later. Well, that means you're probably not going to be drafting this next player. We're going to talk about, I, <laughs> I said this about Sonny Gray. You're about, to, you're about to be proven wrong, by the way. Oh, all right. Interesting. Uh, I said this about Sonny Gray yesterday when talking to Michael Simeone. I said, you know, I have I have Sonny Gray ranked pretty low, but not with much conviction. So if you can convince me, then I, I would be willing to move him up. And that's kind of how I feel about Teoscar Hernandez because he hits the ball extremely hard. The problem is he just strikes out a ton. Is there is it a chance that he's like Aaron Judge with a little bit more speed and not as much power. Yeah, I guess that's a possibility, and you're, and you're getting him about 20, 20 picks later than in Aaron Judge. Uh, and the last 162 games for Teoscar Hernandez, 252, 42 homers, 11 steals, and 838 OPS. It's it's a very good player. It's just you, you have to draft him inside the top 75 picks. So uh, prove me wrong, Matt. Why are you in on Teoscar Hernandez? All right, this is the reason I like Teoscar Hernandez. He, he has a track record. This actually is who he is. The thing for me is the speed. If you look in the minor leagues, 
he actually was a speed demon. He always has high sprint speed as well. It's just a matter of they've never really allowed him to. And I don't know if they're going to allow him to in 2021. Look at the Mariners. They started running out of nowhere. Same manager ran out of nowhere. Uh, so that's the gamble you're taking with Tioscar. But I'm willing to do it because I think the power is incredibly legitimate. All of the uh, all of the metrics kind of back out back up his power. He's going to strike out like crazy. That's a part of his game. If strikeouts are a part of your scoring, this take him out of there. Uh, but if it's just the typical five by five, um, he's not going to kill you in batting average. He'll have an okay one. He's going to have some probably elite home runs and uh, counting stats, and what will be probably an even further improved Blue Jays lineup. But the speed, forty home runs with maybe fifteen stolen bases um if they allow him to run at out as they were this year that is that is pretty valuable so that is the whole thing he's someone where i like to do a lot of my main money leagues closer to the season i would like to see maybe how spring training's looking and you know see if they're running so he's maybe a guy where i will maybe wait for my shares to see but um yeah, if they're going to let him run, he is very special. If he's not running, you can drop him. You know, there's no reason to – he's one of those guys you wait for Randall Grichak or something. But, yeah, the speed really changes things for me. Yeah, so he's he's always been, like, a great athlete. He hits the ball extremely hard. He runs fast as well. The strikeouts mentioned are an issue. I, I just wonder what the floor is here, Matt, because I, I feel like – correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like in years past when he struggled, he just finds his way out of the lineup. Like that, I feel like it's happened before, maybe even back in the minors a few times. So that's just off the top of my head. I just feel like his floor could be, he's just not playing if he's, if he's struggling that much. Yeah. I think earlier in his career, I think now he's, he's kind of past that where he's, he's just one of those guys that he, he kind of changes the lineup around him. I think he almost has a reputation where, where pitchers are actually pitching to the guys around him differently, almost like Carlos Delgado used to go in and, and do. Uh, where I think that they just enjoy his presence in there, especially with the you know the younger guys, and now Tioscar's I guess one of the older guys in the lineup. So I'm not as worried about that um, because also it's not like that team is the epitome of plate discipline. You have you have a guy like Kevin Biggio who walks a ton, also strikes out a ton. So um, you know it's it, they're all kind of in the same boat. There's going to be some strikeouts on that team, uh, but I, yeah, I like I like the offense. I believe in the power. It's just a matter of the speed. I believe they saw something there. They see how, you know, he won. Didn't he win? I think he won a silver slugger award. Did he not? He, I believe he did. Um, Maybe I'm making that up, but um, you know, they think they saw how much, how valuable he can be as the power speed guy. So I I think that's just what they're going to let him roll with, you know, and they're serious about contending. He did. He did win a silver slugger award indeed. All right. So at the ADP of 71, it sounds like you are buying that. I am. Um, he's probably one of the uh, few players. He's probably one of the earlier guys I'm willing to take a risk on. Uh, but he said, I'd, I'd really love to get some more information to see how the Blue Jays are going to, if they're going to be aggressive on the base pads. But I think that he is someone that you can, you can get a lot of, um, you can get a lot of return on investment on. I think I would hesitantly buy. I, I'm going to have more than one team, obviously. I, I would like him on one or two just to see if he really just pops off and we, we get that monster season out of Tioscar because he did make some improvements this year. And I remember I had him on a few teams and I said, I mean, the guy just continues to get it done. Even when he were, I think when he returned from injury, he was, he was still all right. I might be making that up. Uh, but where, where would you draft him? If, uh, if you knew you were getting his last one, 62, 252, 42 home runs, you know, 90, 90, 11 stolen bases, which again, I would, you know, that doesn't include the pace of stone bases. Most of those are actually in 2020. So I'd bump that up to like 15, but let's just say you were getting his last 162. Where would you feel confident taking him? I would probably take him around where Marcelo Zuna and Judge are being drafted. Top 50. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I think that's probably where. I, yeah, if he could just duplicate that, then I have no problem with Tiasca Hernandez. Somebody I do have a problem with, however, <laughs> is Keston Hiura. And this is, this is kind of like the Javier Baez thing, too, because I, I, really, I really liked Keston Hiura. And the thing is, we, we tell our listeners all the time, don't do this. Don't Just because you've been burned by a player in the past doesn't mean you can't go back to them. And I'm not completely off Hiura. Like, if I had him in Dynasty, I would be holding... I would be waiting, and I want to see what happens. Um, I'm just willing to sit out 2021 
and see him get back on track. And then if he does, then I'll buy back in the next season. But I need to see the improvements from Kesson Hira because he just hit 200, uh, 212. He hit 212 and with a near 35% strikeout rate, I believe he led the National League in strikeouts as well. So I, I just need to see improvements before I jump back in, Matt. I get that. Uh, I don't know if I'll have shares because, I mean, middle infield's pretty deep. You can afford to go, you can afford to to kind of punt him if you want to. The The thing is, there's not too many players, I think, that maybe have the ceiling he does. I, I highlighted all the reasons in the thread why you shouldn't believe in him. I mean, he's truly one of the worst strikeout hitters in baseball. I think in 2019, there was only like one player who was, who was worse in terms of like swing strikes. And he kind of carried that through. But, you know, you had Lorenzo Cain opt out. You had, um, you know, you, you lost a couple of other players. You lost Moustakis uh, to free agency. Yellick had a poor year. It was kind of all on his, this kid's shoulders. And he just gets obliterated in two strike counts. So he needs to kind of be more aggressive earlier on. He is young. Um, there wasn't really a big enough adjustment period for him, but he did make an adjustment at the end of the year where he's usually um, kind of hunching over a little bit. I don't know to try to cheat and, um, and kind of give a little more power. A lot of people hunch over the plate to, so they can lean back and give a little bit of an uppercut he kind of like just stood more straight up, like just straight up. And, um, and that's actually, there's a picture of it in the thread to keep him more even. And that seemed to help um, in terms of his power and the kind of the guy that we saw back in 2019, we like the strikeouts were still there. So I don't think those are going anywhere. So if you're going to draft him, just be realistic about what you're going to get. You have to be able to stomach a low average because I think you're even with growth, you're probably going to end up with a low average because the the speed bumps are going to be there. There's going to be, there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. If strikeouts count in your league, you absolutely can't draft him. But I think 30 home runs upwards of 40 is possible in the end. I would, I would count on 30 and maybe double digit steals, which is great. But, you know, you're going to get maybe a 230, 240 average in the end. You know, a lot of people don't want to stomach that. So it's just a roster construction guy, really. I think it was Mike Curlin who I had on, and he kind of comped him to, like, Rugnet Odor. Like, that could be the floor, right? Where if the strikeouts get out of control and the batting average just completely plummets, he'll still give you home runs, he'll still give you some speed, but the batting average could could really end up hurting you. Mind you, Kesson Hira, I, I think, has more prospect pedigree, and they were more excited about him in, in general. Um, so you, you look at 2019 and what he did, he had a, a, a bat a of over 400. That was mostly because he had a lot more line drives and his bat of ball data. He hit the ball a lot harder in 2019 than he did in 2020. But if he can get back to making that type of contact, then that is the path to Kesson Hira uh, bouncing back and being the player that we all think he can be. So elite, I, elite barrel, like one yeah. of the best in all of baseball, as far as barrel percentage. Hey, who would you rather have Kesson here or Javier Baez? I believe they're going like five picks apart. Pass. No, nah, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, my whole thought was uh, what I think in the thread I said, is, are we looking at maybe peak Javier Baez, what he wants to be maybe with a little less speed or, um, or are we looking at like, you know, rough net Odor in terms of power and speed and everything. And I think he's probably in between, which is where he's currently being drafted, which is why I think it's fair. It just depends on how you've drafted your team until that point. Yeah. They're very similar players. And I think it's a good question. I think I would go with Hira. What do you think? Yes, I would, I would go with Hira. I shortstop is just deeper in general. And I think yeah. Hira, I think he has a ceiling that is exciting and I just like to root for it, but yeah, it's 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 ugly. <laughs> so at sixty five point six, would you buy? He's one. How about this? I don't know if this is a cop out. He's a guy that I probably wouldn't reach for, and I probably wouldn't buy at ADP. But if he dropped it all and it got to me, and I need a second baseman, yeah, I would take a shot. He's no, he's no one like last year. He was probably on my list. This year, it's more like I have a list of a lot of guys, and if he happens to fall into my uh, into my plans, I'll gladly take take him. Yeah, I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell for this season. In Dynasty, I'm going to hold when it comes to Kesson Hira. I still think that he can get there, but uh, I am a little bit worried just about this season. I want to see him do it, and if that means that I miss out on a monster year, I am perfectly all right with that. Uh, We are coming up on the end of the show, so I'm going to skip this final player, Matt, but I do want to give you this opportunity to promote everything that you've got going on over at rotofanatic.com. I know that's where people could find your work. Of course, the host of the turn Two podcast, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Matt Williams, 
but instead of the L's, they're sevens. So it's W-I-7-7-I-A-M-S. What else you got going on right now, Matt? Uh, we have some exciting stuff happening at rotofanatic.com. Uh, if you want to go there, we have the the data monster. We have all of our in-house metrics like uh, stuff and command uh, metrics for pitchers. Um, we have uh, in and out of zone expected swing uh, and whiff percentages for hitters and pitchers, except it's all based upon zones. So uh, we actually look at the stuff being thrown to hitters and from pitchers, and it actually takes into account your opponents. So if a uh, a pitcher struck out Javier Baez or Castanera. It's not going to count the same as if you count, you know, struck out Michael Brantley, and you know that's going to give you a, a more of a bonus. So there's a lot of things to, to go into it, and it's uh, it's actually a lot of fascinating stuff. We also have some prospect uh, da- um, tools in there, so you can compare and contrast com- uh, prospects that are currently in the minors. But yeah, check out RotoFanatic.com. There's a write-up explaining all of them. There's a nice uh, we tell you the averages of the league. There's an index to explain them all, and it's some some pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, and I actually checked it out myself. I noticed Zach Gallen ranks very high on uh, both the stuff and the command. It's something I could get behind because I do love me some Zach Gallen, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Zach Amato loves Zach Gallen. <laughs> I also loves Michael Lorenzen, if we want to bring back Simeon into this conversation. Uh, <laughs> oh, Cincinnati. I just saw that Rotoware put out the new shirt. So uh, a lot of people excited about Cincinnati Reds pitchers. TJ Antone, another one that's getting some hype right now as well. Uh, Matt, thanks so much, man. Happy New Year to you and your family as well. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Happy New Year. Yeah, I just want to wrap up here uh, just in general from the Fantasy Baseball Today family here at CBS Sports and just want to thank everybody for your support all year long. Uh, This was the first season that I was here on Fantasy Baseball Today trying to fill the shoes of someone who did this job for an amazing, uh, just an amazing way for so long in in Adam Azer. So I do appreciate everyone that's continued to, to support us all season long, whether it's through following the podcast, watching the video content, reading our content at cbssports.com. So I really do appreciate all the support that you have given us all season long. Thank you very, very much. For Matt Williams, I am Frank Sample. Thank you all for listening and watching. You will not hear me next week. I won't be back on this podcast until January 11th. You'll have Scott White, Chris Towers, and a very special guest next week. But I will talk to you all again in the new year. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.